Love Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alzheimer's Speaks radio show. I'm thrilled that you can be with us today. We've all um, made it through Labor Day weekend, and it was gorgeous here in Minnesota. Hopefully you enjoyed yours as well. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm founder of Alzheimer's Speaks um, resource website and radio show. And um, if you haven't checked out our new website, please do so. It's www dot alzheimersspeaks.com. There you'll find all kinds of different information. We have a resource directory um, which we're building, and you, as our audience, can actually participate in that. So if you have run across a great book or article or newsletter or video and you want other people to know about it, um, you can go ahead and input that and share that because it's so hard to be able to find the information that we need. All you have to do is go up to the top of the um, website where it says Partnering Options and click on Find Out How, and it's totally free to go ahead and submit those types of things. There's also for-fee things for businesses as well, but please check us out. We would love any feedback that you have. As you know, our goal here is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. It's our hope to teach people how to live with the disease, not as it. And we're all about giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss as well as their care partners, empowering everyone to live a purpose-filled life. My channel expert who has early onset is Rick Phelps, and I'm not sure if Rick's going to make the show today or not. If he is, I'll definitely pull him in. For those of you not familiar with Rick Phelps, he is the founder of Memory People which is a closed group on, on Facebook, and it's just a wonderful place to find support. If you haven't checked it out, um, go to Facebook and plug it in. It is um, just write in uh, Memory People, and it will pop up for you. If you yourself want to join the conversation today, you can also do that. You can call in live at 714 364 Four seven five seven. That's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. And just push one, and you'll get into my queue. So I'll know if you have a question or a comment. You can also use the chat box, as I will be monitoring that as well um, throughout the program. So let me get rolling into our introduction for our guest today. I am I'm just thrilled to have Cindy Keith with us. Cindy is a nurse, and she's a certified uh, dementia practitioner, 
and she owns M-I-N-D, Mind in Memory Care. She earned her degree in nursing from Penn State University with honors, and throughout her 25-year nursing career, Cindy has worked in multiple specialties, but she always returned to geriatrics because of her love of working with people with dementia. In addition to creating a facility and staff dementia training video, Cindy is the author of Love, Laughter, and Mayhem, a caregiver survival manual for living with a person with dementia. And this is a collection of stories about people with dementia that Cindy has known, loved, and worked with. Her second book, Love, Laughter, and Mayhem in Elder Facilities, The Master Key for Dementia Training, is a workbook for facility staff. And um, she also has an e-book entitled Hairstylist Helpful Tips for Working with People with Alzheimer's and Others Dementia that is scheduled to be um, uh, released soon. She is a um, nationwide um, speaker, and her passion for helping families and the elders with dementia is evident in all she does. So welcome. How are you doing today, Cindy? I'm doing wonderfully, Lori, and I'm so happy to be here on your show today. Well, I am just thrilled to have you. I always like to start the show out by asking, were you personally touched with a loved one or a family friend um, that had dementia? I was. um, I got into the specialty of dementia years before my father actually developed Lewy body dementia. But um, he lived in Oregon and then South Dakota, and I live in Pennsylvania, so I didn't have to deal with the day-to-day caregiving of him, but my mother and my sisters did, and uh, I know the toll that that takes. And when I would go to visit, of course, you know, I I helped out. But, um, yes, it's, I know the, the devastation, the stress, um, that family caregivers are under from personal experience. That's for sure. I don't think there's a caregiver out there that would argue with that point. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what drove you to this population? You said you worked in a lot of specialties, but you were always drawn to work, you know, with uh, people with dementia. What was it that, that captured your heart? Well, I think it was, uh, number one, I just like elderly people because they're just so grateful for the smallest things that you do for them, it seems, so often. And then I discovered that I had a knack for putting smiles on the faces of elders with dementia. I seemed to be one of those few people that kind of got it you know, as to how to talk to people with dementia and what to say, what to do to calm them down or to help them. There are people out there like that. Uh, Not that we all can't improve and and learn new things, but um, I just got such a sense of satisfaction out of putting smiles on their faces and getting my goals accomplished with them. And then when I worked as a health care coordinator in a dementia facility, I realized I was actually spending more time with families than I was with the residents. The residents were fairly content, you know, unless you're asking them to do something they don't want to do. 
um, and they didn't really have that many health issues because we took such good care of them. But the families were in my office on a daily basis suffering as they watched their loved one die one brain cell at a time. And they had no skills for how to deal with that. And so I found myself spending a lot of time with these family members. And when that job ended, that's kind of what got me started into my business, um, is was wanting to really help those families. Okay, great. Can you explain to people, you know, you call yourself a, a certified dementia practitioner. What exactly is that? And then we'll follow up with kind of more detail of what your business does, your mind and memory okay. as well. Well, when I decided to start my own business, I looked around to see what kind of certification was out there. And this um, CDP, Certified Dementia Practitioner, was available uh, for a, a one-day training and uh, a fee. And I took that, and it was a fairly simplistic certification. And I've since gone on and, and done the Train the Trainer course for that certification where I can go anywhere in the United States and do that training so people can become a certified dementia practitioner. But what it really means is that if you want to be a dementia consultant or a certified dementia practitioner or anything like that, you need to, first of all, have a passion for dementia and the people involved, the families and the, the elders, and and want to further your career, further your learning and your education in that field. And that's what I've done. I, I attend all kinds of seminars and workshops and and so on, just to increase my knowledge base. I think that's that's an important thing to know is that you know there's a there's a lot of like in any other business there's a lot of different certifications or taglines that people can call themselves. But it, I think especially in dementia, it's really important that you're working with someone who ongoingly educates themselves and is connected to. Um, the industry professionals, because there is so much to learn. And as we all know, you know, once we meet a person with dementia, we've met a person with dementia. Yes. And everybody yes. deals with things differently. And even if it works for somebody once, it might not work the next time. So it really is about finding skilled people with a large tool bank, uh, toolbox that can really help you maneuver through this process because, there isn't a magic, you know, pill or a magic bullet out there. Um, one way doesn't cut it. And I know that there's a there's a lot of t- different types of therapies out there. And I think um, as a caregiver, and I was, you know, I, I fell into that that role too, where you think, okay, this is going to fix it. You know, this is going to do the trick. And and it might for a while, um, or it might not work for you at all. And yeah. so again, it's just important uh, to know to know those types of things. Can well, you tell the most us important little... word? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. The most important word you said was ongoing, mm-hmm. and that is so so important. Not only for family caregivers, for professionals, for those people working in facilities on the front lines. There, ongoing dementia training is just so critical, and I, I, I firmly believe that. Agree, agree, especially, you know, in facilities because staff turns over. 
you know, in families, yeah. we, we really don't turn over so much. We might pass the wand, but we're yeah. kind of there for the long haul. <laughs> and some of us get a little more involved than others. I just had that discussion this morning where someone said, you know, my brother said he was going to come in, and then boom, he didn't. And I said, you know, sometimes it's easier to do without him. If their heart's really not in it, and, you know, like you said, you have to be really person-centered, and you really have to want to do this type of work, sometimes it's easier to do alone. And um, Because when you add those exterior outside frustrations but the biggest thing i think for family is letting go of i'm angry why are you doing this to me i shouldn't have to do this alone you know we make it about ourselves once we can push that aside it really gets much easier because you're not trying to change the person with dementia and you're not trying to change the person who you want to help you exactly Um, so, Cindy, can you tell us a little bit about your company? What types of services do you offer um, people? Well, my business is called Mind in Memory Care, and MIND stands for Moving in Nurturing Directions in Memory Care. Nurturing is what I'm all about. I'm a real touchy-feely kind of person and a nurse, and, and I believe that anyone who has anything to do with an elder with dementia to work effectively and safely with that elder they need to have that nurturing quality. And so moving in nurturing directions is is what I'm all about. And my business is multifocal. Um, as I said, my main goal when I started the business was to reach out to those families that are struggling on a daily basis because, you know, they don't even know what questions to ask. They're just, it's kind of like they have those blinders on that you put on horses so they can't see what's going on anywhere but right directly in front of them. And that's how I think that some caregivers are. They put those blinders on because they're just trying to get through the next hour or today, and they don't have time or energy to look and see what else is going on in their lives. And so they really need all of the help that we can give them. So I reach out to family members, um, and what I do with them is, is I talk to them about the diagnosis what is the likely progression of this of this type of dementia, given, you know, if it's Lewy body versus Alzheimer's and so on. How do we keep my loved ones safer in the home? Ways that you can do that uh, more effectively. Resources available to families, like support groups that are in their area. Just something simple, like ordering Meals on Wheels for um, an elderly couple. Maybe the husband's taking care of the wife with Alzheimer's. Well, he doesn't know how to cook or what to cook or doesn't have the time or the energy. Something simple like getting meals on wheels is a huge thing for them. Uh, Daycare options, that sort of thing, uh, very helpful to family members. And um, then one of the most important things is how do they handle the challenging behaviors that they're seeing. Uh, It just runs the entire gamut, as you're well aware, from why won't my wife recognize me, to um, why does my husband keep peeing on the floor or in the trash can, or you know, why, um, why does my uh, wife keep wanting to go outside when you know, it's raining or snowing? It's all kinds of questions like that. How do we handle those behaviors most effectively? And that's one of the most important things I do with family members is educate them about that. And one of the biggest things is to stop arguing with them or trying to reorient them. 
And then, um, so helping family caregivers is a, a part of my business. I do that on a nationwide basis via phone conference calls, and you can have as many people on the phone conference call as you like. Um, and it's, or I will go and into the person's home and sit and talk with them. And I'd go anyway. I'd go to Hawaii if they want to pay my travel expenses to sit and talk <laughs> with the family. That hasn't happened yet, but I'm still hopeful. Um, but family consultations is a big part of my um, my business. Another part is staff education and training. I'm so passionate about getting staff trained appropriately. There are a lot of dementia training programs out there that just skim the surface. And I am more, I, I'm right down to the nitty-gritty, and the nitty-gritty includes um, getting management on board with you and making sure that your staff uh, are talking about and, and are well aware of things like gossiping and backstabbing, how bad that is, and how it affects people with dementia that they work with. You know, they don't even think of things like that. So that's a big part of my uh, business also is the staff education and training. And as you mentioned in, in my bio, I have the staff dementia training video, and my second book was a staff dementia training workbook. And then I will also do tailored staff trainings in a facility if they want to bring me in to do that. Um, then I travel nationwide and give talks and seminars, uh, conferences on dementia. I love to talk about dementia. I actually kind of like to hear myself talk, so <laughs> it's a good fit, <laughs> especially if they want to pay me to do that. You know, So I do some traveling, uh, traveling around. I enjoy that. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much my business in a nutshell, which is kind of a big nutshell, but it's multifocal. So do you consider yourself a caregiver coach then? Because that's a terminology that's used a lot. Yeah, I've, I've heard people using that term, and I guess you could consider me a caregiver coach because that's one of the things that I do you know, mm-hmm. with with facility staff as well as family caregivers, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just um, I don't often do it on an ongoing basis. I would be happy to do it on an ongoing basis, but, you know, once you get it, you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's move on to your your books. First of all, I have to say I, I love the cover and I love the title, Love, Laughter, and Mayhem. Can you tell us, let's just, let's go over the book first, then we'll go into the workbook, but can you tell us um, a little bit of why you chose the title and the cover? Because I just think both are really powerful, and then we can kind of dig into the, the nitty-gritty there. Yeah, I when it came down to thinking about a title, of course I wrote the book before I ever thought of a title. And I know how important titles are. And at the time I had just finished reading that book, Eat, Pray, Love, Mm-hmm. And I realized that you know in our in our English language we we tend to like things that come in three words: stop, look, listen, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, what three words would I want to use in in connection with dementia? And the love and the laughter were were easy. I thought, okay, well, you know, there's definitely love. The family members love their family member, and that doesn't change. They can get upset at them and get aggravated and frustrated, but the love is usually always there. 
And the person with dementia still can express love um, and laughter. There's certainly opportunity for laughter, not laughing at the person with dementia, but with them. You can still, even in the later stages, um, create some funny moments where you can laugh together. So love, laughter, and I couldn't think of the third word. I, it took me days, and I, I have a very strong faith, and I, every night before I went to bed I would put it out there to the universe and, and say, okay, send me the word I need to know. And I just woke up one morning and mayhem came to mind. And, you know, there's certainly a lot of mayhem when you're dealing with people with dementia. And I thought, well, that's perfect. That's the word I'm going to use. And uh, Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a great title because it really, I think if you can, if you can not lose the love that you have for the person you're caring for um, and build that relationship, and if you can laugh, the mayhem... Um, it really isn't overwhelming. It just is more comical. Um, yeah. You know, as you go through the journey there. So, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Why did you feel a need for two different um, types of books? Well, when I was writing the book, I had a um, geriatric psychiatrist friend of mine just um, kind of give a, a quick overview of what I had written thus far. And he gave me some very important advice. He said, I think you're being a little um, ambitious in your desire to address more than one audience at the same time because I had combined in the book for facility staff workers some tips on you know dealing with their their uh, clients. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you may want to think about splitting this into two books. And I thought, well, that's a really great idea. So that's mm-hmm. what I did. And I love the title so much and and the cover that I decided to use them again. So that's how Love, Laughter, and Mayhem in Elder Care Facilities, the Master Key for Dementia Training, came about. Okay. Well, that, that makes a lot of, uh, I mean, it just makes a ton of sense um, yeah. in terms of target markets and you know they are. I mean, they they both have different needs. I know for myself, when I I speak and train, I I um I really try to get everybody talking the same language, and um and so I I kind of do the the multi audience thing. But I can see easily how it can be just as effective um, splitting them up, um, because you can get more intense them. And, you can, uh, really and and the fact that I made it a workbook. I think mm-hmm. is important too because you know people can sit in a training and they can be thinking about the grocery list or what they need to do that evening or whatever but when they're working in a workbook where they have to write down specific clients or residents that they're working with and and what can I do to solve this problem this particular problem with this particular resident and they write those things down it it really helps drive home the lessons a lot better yeah, so because I, it I makes it glad. real. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, definitely. Well, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what people could find in the book for uh, caregiver survival for the family members? Well, this is a um, a book of stories about people with dementia that I have um, known, loved, and worked with in my many years as a nurse, and every story has a lesson to teach because 
family caregivers need to hear these lessons to, in order to make their lives so much better. And so this book gently teaches you lessons, how to better care for your loved one with dementia as well as yourself as a caregiver. That is so crucial. Um, I have a lot of different stories in there. Um, Some of them are very humorous. Um, Some of them make you cry. I mean, I still cry when I read some of them. You know, I cried when it happened, and I still cry when I read them. And then I have um, a couple of different um, topics like hydration and nutrition with a lot of tips in there and bathing. Oh, my gosh, bathing tips um, for families in order to help get their loved one into the bathroom or the shower or the tub. And then, um, you know, just kind of how to... how to. Um, Interact with them in such a way that you're not upsetting them because when they're upset, you're upset. Mm -hmm. When they're happy, you're happy. So how do you keep them happy? And it's not always easy. And nothing is going to work all the time, but you just keep trying. And and I think this book is so easy to read. You pick it up and you can read one story or ten stories. Some are only a page long. Some are multiple pages long. But um, you get the lessons in there, and I've I've got so many people say to me, I want to know more about Aunt B. You know <laughs> what happened to her? And, um, you know, you get involved, you get caught up in the stories, and I think people remember the lessons better when they're connected with a story. Oh, definitely. I hear yeah. that. I hear that all the time. I get them yeah. laughing and crying, just I'm sure like you do. And I, you know, I get I get teary too. It's like because this is this is such important work to help people connect yeah. on a on a deep level. It's um, it's just a really beautiful thing to help people master um, this relationship with uh, when they're so sometimes so distraught. It's um, so it's, it's a you know to me it's a gift and it's an honor to be part of it. And I'm sure you feel the same way. As yes, well as because of the way you've talked about it, um, you know, one of the things that you talk about in here is, uh, you know, about making that decision um, to go into a nursing home, and what do I need to look at? Um, can you give people maybe a couple of tips on that? Sure. Um, what you need to look at. One of the most important things that you may not really think about, first of all, is how convenient is this for you. In other words, um, if I'm going to put my loved one in a nursing home and I'm going to be the person visiting them all the time, eventually that loved one, and it probably won't take long at all, won't know where they are. And so what is most convenient for you? Is it the nursing home down the street that you've visited and it seems fine and it seems clean and the staff seem friendly and, and that sort of thing? Or is it the one clear across town? You know, you really have to stop and think about what's most convenient for you, too. Um, and then you want to definitely ask them about their staff dementia training. Is it ongoing? Because it should be. And do they have a, a separate dementia unit? I think it's so important to have people with dementia in a dementia unit because 
when they are in a mixed population of people with and without dementia, those elders without dementia generally do not like the people with dementia around them. And they make that known. They ostracize them. They say nasty things to them. They yell at them sometimes because they can't remember. That's so true. Yeah. So true. And so their quality of life goes down when they're mixed with population without dementia. So when they're all in a dementia unit, they all have dementia. Not not saying they can't yell at each other in there because they do sometimes, but they forget about it. They both forget about it. And... um, you know, you just everyone has dementia there. So, and what's also important is the staff working in that dementia unit are there usually because they want to be there. Mm-hmm. They love working with people with dementia. They're better at it. And you talk to a given number of workers out on the general floor in any nursing home, and you say, you know, how comfortable are you working with people with dementia? And you will find some people who say, oh, they drive me crazy. I just don't know how to keep them happy. They just won't sit still. They won't do what you want them to do. It's frustrating. They shouldn't be taking care of them. You know, Good and that generally, Yeah, that generally won't happen in a dementia unit because those workers want to be there. Yeah, they and get so, spread out too fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's another thing. Your loved one may not need to be in a dementia unit because maybe they're not ambulatory and can uh, run off or escape or elope or whatever you want to call it. But, again, if there is an opportunity to pick a dementia unit versus a non-dementia unit, always pick the dementia unit because the activities are tailored for people with dementia and the staff are going to treat them um, with more knowledge in that unit. That's so really, you want to check. Yeah. That's a really good point because so many times uh, I think families don't want to go there because it's uncomfortable for them. Mm-hmm. And so if they can avoid being on a dementia unit, um, and again, they, I, I think most don't even understand that their feelings are getting the better of them. Um, but it is it can be uncomfortable if you're not willing to accept this disease, and you know you might as well accept it because it's not going away, and yeah. it is what it is. But to really get the care that you want for your loved one, you need people who specialize. It's kind of like going to a heart surgeon, you know, or a brain surgeon. Um, you want that specialty, specialty um, because they are going to get it and. You know, the staff, I mean, it's amazing. I I mean, some of the work that they do and the love that they have for the people Mm -hmm. that they care for. Exactly. Um, And that really is, I think, what all of us would like for ourselves is to be able to have that connection and and really that sincerity of someone who who gets us for whoever we are in the moment Mm -hmm. um, that we're in. And there, there is great benefit to that. Um, so I think your point of even if, you know, they're not going to run away, um, you know, uh, and, and there's not a risk of, of that, there are many other things you have to consider yes. when when looking at placement. Yeah. Do you have and a, I have a whole okay. chapter. I have a whole mm-hmm. chapter in my book about that, too. Uh, when when do I need to make the nursing home decision and that kind of thing. So. Okay. Great. 
Now, one of the things you talk about in here is you had mentioned, you know, um, food and hydration. Can you just give us a couple of tips? Because I think that is many times overlooked as well. Yes. People with dementia may, and they often do, lose the ability to uh, distinguish whether they're hungry or not or thirsty or not. It's like the thirst and hunger mechanism in the brain has been disrupted. And so if you ask them, are you ready for lunch now? They'll say, no, I already had lunch. I'm not hungry. And so if you believe that, that person's going to lose weight at a rapid pace, and you don't want that. So one of the most important things is to never ask a person with dementia. If you don't want to hear a no answer, you don't ask. <laughs> uh, do they want a drink, or are they hungry, or do they want something to eat? You just present it to them. Just put it in front of them, and if they say, oh, I told you, I'm not hungry, I can't eat anything, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot, I swear I'm losing my mind, just let it sit there, I'll pick it up later. Chances are, if their social graces are still intact, you look over there, everyone else is eating and drinking, they're going to start eating and drinking. I mean, that worked with my own father when I went to visit him. I was uh, helping Mom prepare lunch one day, and I said, uh, where's Dad's plate? She said, oh, he said he doesn't feel well. He's got an upset stomach. He doesn't want to eat anything. And he was losing weight, and he could not afford not to eat. I said, Mom, let's do this. So I took the plate, and I put just small amounts of things on the plate, and I presented it to him with his um, chocolate glucerna drink. And he said, oh, honey, he said, I told Mom, I just can't eat. I just don't feel well. I do. He said, I just don't want to eat at all. I said, oh, Dad, that's okay. We're going to eat. Just set this down here. If you want it, fine. If you don't want it, that's fine, too. Don't worry about it. So he liked to sit in front of the TV with the TV tray. And a little while later, I elbowed Mom. I said, look, he was eating. He ate everything. And that is so often what happens. They just do it automatically. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not hungry, they will just eat automatically and drink automatically. You should always hand the drinks to them because it's so vitally important to keep them hydrated because even if they're dehydrated just a little bit, they're more confused and they're at higher risk for falling. So just really keep them hydrated. Give them what they want to drink as much as you can. Um, we had one guy, and there's a story... <laughs> A story in my book, if you remember, I want beer. <laughs> that was his answer with everything. What would you like to drink? Beer, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, beer. <laughs> well, obviously he's not going to get beer in our facility. Um, so I, I tell the story of how we got around that in the facility. But then his dementia progressed to a point back where he was remembering before he started drinking beer every day. And then he was more willing to take other liquids, but yeah, it's so vitally important to um, not give them choices, just hand it to them. You, it's okay to say, do you want the cake or the pie? That doesn't matter, but not to ask them, are you ready for your bath now? No. Then what do you do? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, where do we go from here? So you really have to learn how to talk around those things. Um, as far as bathing, you don't ask them if they're ready for a bath. You prepare the bathroom in advance. It has to be really warm, warmer than you like it. 
um, everything in there. You chit-chat with them. You lead them into the bathroom. You help toilet them, and while you're toileting them, you can take the lower body garments off usually, um, have distractions in there for them. I mean, if if they're going to be getting into the tub um, and they love to eat, have an apple or a sandwich or something you can hand to them. And um, let them do as much as they want. Don't get their hair wet until the very last minute because that either makes them scared or cold. So always start at the feet. If they seem to fear the water, you want to um, put some bubbles in there uh, in the tub so they don't see the water. But you have to be careful because that makes it a little slipperier. So lots and lots of tips. I also have a, a, down, a free download on my website of bathing tips. I think there's like 36 tips in there. Um, that people oh, can access. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'll have to, um, when I write up the article, um, I'll have to add that link in um, to where they where they would go. That would be that would be wonderful because bathing is such a huge issue both at home and in um, facilities and communities. It's just a struggle, yeah. and people are so nervous on how to handle that and how do you get it done in a timely fashion and how do you make them comfortable. I know for my mom, um, I was just shocked because she used to love, you know, taking a bath or even a shower. And then she got scared of the water. And um, I remember Tipa Snow telling me that, you know, part of the problem was probably the shower head, using the high-pressure shower head. Mm-hmm. And um, as we age, we lose our fat pads. And even though my mom was a heavy set woman, she said, you know, being heavy and your fat pads are, are totally two different things. And it's pounding down on her nerves and uh, it's scaring her. So we switched to a um, rain shower head, which was much mm-hmm. gentler, still oh, got good. the job done. And mm-hmm. it was amazing. You know, the difference um, in just, you know, little things like that can make such a big difference. But until we talk and share with one another, because um, it's impossible for all of us to learn all of these things. That's, you know, one of the reasons yes. I, I created the resource website and the radio show is that we can share the knowledge because there's just so much to learn. We'll, we'll never all learn it. You know, it's constantly coming so Mm -hmm. um, if you're listening and you've got any tips that you'd like to share something that's worked um, feel free to use the chat box or you know call in Um, we'd love to hear from you as well on that those are those are great great tips and I loved you know just even about the hydration because so many people don't realize how important that hydration is you know and I know many of them stop drinking because they don't want to go to the bathroom Right. You don't want to have an accident. And exactly. it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. And, um, you know, and then all of a sudden they're dizzy and passing out, and, you know, we don't want that either. So yeah. how, do, how do we work with all of those things? So really, really great tips. Is there a favorite story in here that you'd like to share with us, um, one that just kind of, you know, yanks at your heart that um, you just – it will always be a story that's fresh to you, I guess. Well, I think one of my favorite stories in there, um, I believe it's called I'll Whoop You, 
mm-hmm. and it's Aunt B. Aunt B was um, a very short, um, maybe four foot tall woman, um, and she had broken her hip a couple years before she came to us and refused to be rehabbed. So she walked with a severe limp, but she could sure move. She was very determined, very uh, strong-willed woman, and she lived um, out by herself in a farmhouse in a little community. And, and her son, her only child, her son, brought her to us after she had been out um, in the middle of the night and had fallen and broken some teeth out and had to go to the ER. And, and this was not the first time that it happened. So he brought her to us, and she was furious with him. <laughs> she mm-hmm. cursed him one up, up one end and down the other. But she... Uh, she was so feisty, and that's what I loved about her. She was just so feisty. And she um, had been known in the community as Aunt B. And so one of our staff workers had known her when the staff worker was a child. And so she, you know, she always called her Aunt B. And they were standing outside my office one day, and I heard this staff worker say to her, now, Aunt B, you know you can't do that anymore at your age. <laughs> and I looked up in time to see this short little woman with this staff person towering over her, looking up at her, shaking her finger in her nose and saying, don't you talk to me that way just because you're bigger than me doesn't mean I can't whoop you when you need it. And as she stalked <laughs> off, she took her pocketbook and smacked her on the butt with it. And I just loved that feistiness, and I use it as a teaching story because I say, you know, she still had the ability to express that anger with mm-hmm. words. If her Alzheimer's had robbed her of that ability, what would she have done? She still would have been upset because she knew she was being treated like a child and she didn't like it. She still would have been upset, so she would have used her fists. Mm-hmm. And this is what many people with dementia do when they can't make their needs known. They will use their fists. So I use that as a teaching tool. But that was that was Aunt B to a T. I mean, she just went through life that way. If she saw a wrong, she would right it, and she wouldn't mm-hmm. hesitate. And she was just so feisty, um, and I just loved her to death. Well, and, you know, there always is a reason for them when they act out. I mean, they're no different than us, but everybody mm-hmm. thinks that, it, that you know, oh, it's the disease. No, it's them. They're processing things, and, you know, they have to, you know, they, they might connect the dots a little different, but, um, you know, any reaction from them, um, you know, if we if we like it, it's fine, and if we don't like it, then, then it's a behavior, and um, we really have to get to the source of of what it is um, that's causing their reaction. Because a lot right. of times we can we can figure we can figure it out. We can change our ways because they can't change their ways. And mm-hmm. so that's just such a, a critical a critical piece for us to uh, to deal with. That's for sure. Um, well, let's talk about let's talk a little bit about holidays. Um, any advice on holidays or crowds with people with dementia? Oh my, yes. Um, holidays are are very important rituals for all of us, and 
it it's something we want to hang on to for as long as we can, and it's so upsetting to family members when they come for the holiday, and well now mom doesn't remember how to make the Christmas dinner, or mm-hmm. mom doesn't even remember it's Christmas, and it it just makes you dread the holidays. Mm-hmm. So, um, I I have a story in the book about that too. And what they have to do is, is just really create their own or new um, holiday rituals. Um, you don't go with any expectations and realize that even if mom and dad ha- still have a big house with lots of room, if you and your wife and your two small children come for the holiday, you are going to greatly upset her routine and she will um, act accordingly when she's upset. So, you know, you probably would be much better off for everyone if you just go to a, a hotel for the time that you're there in order to avoid upsetting her because every single thing that, that is different in her life on a daily basis is going to be hard for her to process because she, at this point everything needs to be uh, familiar to her, and mm-hmm. you're not familiar to her anymore. Neither are your children, and you know it will just totally upset the routine. So, holidays are very difficult uh, for the family members and the loved ones. And if you're visiting in the facility on the holiday, you know you, again check the expectations at the door. Maybe they're having a good day, and maybe you can reminisce about some wonderful holidays that you had in the past. And I always encourage my family members to make sure that they have a photo album easily available to their loved one. And you can open it up because many of those long-term memories are still there. Open it up and you don't point to a picture and say, do you know who this is? Because that's just setting them up for failure. You point to the picture and say, oh, there's you and there's Dad, and that's me when I was about seven years old. And if she looks at that and says, no, that's not me. Oh, I'm sorry, Mom. I I thought it was. And go on to the next picture. Mm-hmm. You know, you just get to, until you get to a picture that she remembers and can talk about and enjoys talking about. So yeah. you really get in their reality. And then if their reality is that that's not my family, then you just get in that reality with them. Yeah. And that that's great advice because so many times we're we're busy correcting and you know it it isn't gonna it isn't gonna work guys <laughs> yeah. um and even if you convince them in the moment it'll be gone later and yeah. so we just have to really learn to play in their playground and be respectful um you know when they can't recall things um that it's that it's okay. You know, there's there's other things that we can connect on and and provide um, one another. Well, let's talk a little bit about your um, your workbook for facilities. What what do you think sets it apart and makes it different from a lot of training that that others have? Because it is full of, of great information here. Well, I think the main thing that sets it apart is the fact that it's a workbook. I don't think you find very many um, trainings that will actually ask you to apply the uh, knowledge 
then and there to residents that you work with currently and then brainstorm on how to fix the problems. So that's a big thing. Um, the other thing is that I go into topics that you don't normally find in trainings, as I mentioned before, about the gossiping and the backstabbing. And, and I have a free download for the person doing the training in the facility. Um, it's called the, um, well, the book is, the subtitle is The Master Key for Dementia Training, and then there's the um, uh, Management's Master Key Training Guide that you can download for free. And that has a lot of tips in it on how to get more out of the training. Like work ethic. I mean, so many facilities, if you go in and you ask one of those frontline caregivers, what do you feel your work ethic is? They will look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is a work ethic? Mm-hmm. Um, because they've never really been exposed to something like that. They've never talked about it. Um, and so... This is one of the uh, modules in there is talking about work ethic of yourself and your coworkers. And I have tips in there on how the management can get um, a lot more out of that training by doing certain little exercises with the staff. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a, well, I know it's a great staff dementia training tool. Yep. Well, that's wonderful. I know one of your modules is family member challenges. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think there is a big struggle there, and um, it's it's almost it can it can be kind of that black and white situation, us against them. Yeah, um, and it's unfortunate that so many staff workers feel that way. And I always, when I'm doing a, a talk or a training, I'll say, you know, to the facility workers that I'm talking to, you know, are there one or two family members that when you see them come walking through the door, you want to run and hide? And they always say, yeah, yeah, you know, (laughs) and they laugh. And I say, well, what makes you want to run and hide from them? Is it because they're demanding and have unrealistic expectations about what you can do for their loved one? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, how, why are they like that? They weren't born mean, nasty people. Why are they like that? And so, you know, we talk about a whole list of stresses that these family members have been under for many years, some of them, while they're caring for their loved one. And then they've done so many studies on family caregivers. They did further studies after they admitted their loved one to a facility. They found those stressors don't go away. They carry them around with them like a sack of bricks on their shoulders, and they don't even know it. Yeah, and so, they're so used to it. Yeah, if you can see this person coming through the door that you want to run and hide from with this sack of bricks on their shoulders, what can you do? You can turn them into a friend. I've done this. It works. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Um, And it's sitting them down, asking them how they're doing, what can you do to make their lives better. And I said it's going to be like opening Pandora's box. You're going to get a whole laundry list of complaints, that's okay. You write them all down. There's probably there's guaranteed a few in there that are valid complaints. You meet with your staff. You work on it. Each time they come in, how are you doing? Were you able to go golfing over the weekend? You know, that kind of thing. And what that person finally starts to do then is look at you as a friend. And then the, the 
the frontline caregivers, this would be for a management person to do, but the frontline caregivers every day should walk up and tell that family member something positive about their loved one. Because when you do that, you're putting a smile on their heart. You know, even if it's simple as, you know, Cindy, today your mom gave me the biggest hug. Well, well, that's nice to hear. You know, or your dad could list all of the flowers when we walked outside today. You know, that puts a smile on their heart. And when you do that, they're putting you on a pedestal. And so they become less demanding. Yeah, well, so, I think yeah. I think it's because they they know that you get their person, you know, because we're so used to communicating for negative things. Oh, they've got a bed sore, or they got a bruise, or we missed the yes. medication, or yes. you know, someone punched them, you know, or their yes. sweater is missing, or I mean, it's those types of calls that typically um, most communities push out, and and those are calls that we need to hear. But yes. as a you know, as a person with a loved one, I want to hear that you made them smile, that they were engaged, that because that reduces my guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a lot of guilt and sadness that caregivers, you know, carry with them. So I think having those positive conversations, or or maybe it's shooting a picture in an email, going, I thought you might enjoy this, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just makes it makes you melt. Yeah. As 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 a care person, you know, as a care partner, and it makes you just appreciate that they took the time to say, you know, I, I like this person, you know, I enjoy being with them, and I want to share this with you, and that's mm-hmm. so powerful. It is powerful, so, and and staff just don't realize how powerful it is until they start utilizing it. Yep, that's yeah. that's for sure. That is for sure. Well, this has just been an extraordinary conversation. Um, I highly encourage people to um, get, you know, both both of your books, Love, Laughter, and Mayhem, um, the workbook for um, elder care facilities, as well as Love, Laughter, and Mayhem, the Caregiver Survival Manual for Living with a Person with Dementia. Um, you have... You have really done a nice job, and I was I was joking Thank with you. Cindy earlier about her the the large print where I can actually read this way, <laughs> putting my glasses on, which is so nice um, that I I appreciate that so much, and it's uh you know both are easy to understand and and easy easy reads, um, which I think you know when we're we're overworked and underpaid. Um, that just adds a bonus. I think you'll get lots of aha moments um, as you go through these. And I'm, I'm personally going to definitely check out your your bathroom tips. <laughs> oh, good, for, good for people because I, I know that that is something that frustrates people so 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 much. There. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I, I also wanted to have you talk about a product that you've run across, and um, it was new to me. And if you can tell people a little bit about, you know, the name of the product and how it works, um, you know, it might be something that people want to check into. I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's there's so much research going on out there, and it's hard to know um, what's what with different things. But um, this sounds kind of interesting, so I'm going to let it you go ahead and tell yeah. us a little bit about it. 
Well, the product that I came across is called Axona, A-X-O-N-A, and it is a medical food. It's classified as a medical food, and it's something that you sprinkle on your food or, or mix into a liquid. It has to be prescribed by a doctor, and many doctors won't know anything about it, so you need to do a little bit of research on it before you go to your doctor. But it has been shown in studies to slow the progression of Alzheimer's. And, you know, if my father were still alive and I heard about this medical food, I would be calling his doctor in a heartbeat saying, I want to try this. Why not? I mean, something as innocuous as a medical food um, to possibly extend his brain cells a little bit. Uh, so I'm I'm excited about this. And Exona is made by a, a Greek biotech company called Axera. And this product has been available for a couple of years, but mostly in the, the um, south. And they're now moving out more into the United States, and um, I would be more than happy to help spread the word about that. But um, I think that we need every avenue that we can find to help give our loved ones that edge, um, to, to help extend their memories or their functional abilities a little bit longer. So I would urge you to go check out Axona and um, take it to your doctor and say, you know, could you please write me a prescription for this and we'll see how it does. You yeah, know, we we need to have hope that mm -hmm. things are going to work. And there is there is hope. I, I'm a positive person. I'm not a, a pessimist. And, you know, we've got some medications in the pipeline there that, that Lily and... Um, uh, Baxter are working on, um, and and the knowledge that we're coming up with all the time about better ways to um, prevent getting Alzheimer's. I mean, brushing your teeth. There's mm -hmm. a strong association that if you don't brush your teeth more than once a day, that your chances of getting Alzheimer's are increased. Um, there's a the definite link between obesity, diabetes, hypertension, chronic high stress levels, increasing your chances of getting Alzheimer's. Um, the way that Alzheimer's moves through the brain, like an infectious process, is now known. So we're we're learning more and more about it all the time. So we have to have hope that any day now, any year now, the big breakthrough is going to come. And so, yeah. um, you know, you, if you wanted to get your loved one into a um, study, they, I think the Alzheimer's Association has a website. Um, let me see, what the is that called? The medical trials. I, yeah, I, I've got one on my, my website, too, that has the, the medical trials. Yeah, that you can go to and check and see uh, what medical trials are being conducted and, and is your your loved one eligible for it. So yeah, I I think I encourage people to do that. Um so you know, have hope, educate yourself and your family as much as possible about the disease and about what you can do and 
and join a support group, whether that's online or in-person support group. I mean, both would be wonderful Mm -hmm. uh, because it will greatly improve the quality of your life. And when the quality of your life is improved, then the quality of your loved one with dementia's life is improved. Good point. Good point. And I think highly overlooked by many. Yes. Um, and so, well, I just, I so appreciate all the time that you spent with us today. Is there any anything else that you would like to say to our audience at all or anything um, we didn't cover? Oh, there's a lot we didn't cover, Lori. <laughs> but that would take weeks. Um, just to shoot me an email if you have questions that uh, you want me to answer, and I'd be happy to do that. Um, Always be out there looking on the websites for information from reputable sources. Yeah. Now, where would you like them to email you, Cindy? Well, my last name, Keith, K-E-I-T-H, first initial C, at, and the name of my business, mindinmemorycare.com. Okay. If you just Google my name, you would get it, too. Okay, or you can always go to your website. I would imagine you have a contact us from there at www.mindinmemorycare.com as well. And and again, to check out the the product, and again, it, it sounds like there's just not a lot of risk in terms of taking this just from what I've, what I've read um, briefly. Yes, the Axona. Yes, Google yeah. that. A X O N A. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, like if if my mom was in a different place in time with her disease, I think I would definitely be be curious um, in terms of asking questions and and getting more information and and trying it. We try so many you know, kind of medication cocktails with this disease. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if it can be something that's food-like and, you know, not having a lot of side effects, it it kind of seems to be a no-brainer to do. But, again, everyone has to make their own decision um, regarding that. So, well, I'm going to go ahead and um, close up our our show here. But, again, I thank you so much for all your great information and um and i'm sure um we will be in touch soon so okay thanks, thanks Lori. bye-bye I just, bye-bye yeah. i just want to remind people of some future shows we have coming up on the 10th we've got norm yeah. mcnamara who's going to be on the line and i'm very excited to have norms with us uh, norms is over in the uk and he is the one that started dementia aware day he is just a super advocate um, for the disease, and he's also living with the disease. And we're also going to have an author with us um, to discuss her book and a journey that she went on. Um, uh, September is kind of loaded with lots of lots of good context, so if you haven't um, checked out the upcoming episodes, I would highly encourage you to do so. And if you enjoyed our show today, again, we would really appreciate you liking us and tweeting us and you can embed the episodes, you can send them to to others that need to hear um, some resource information. And then I also wanted to announce that on um, September, I keep wanting to say November, 
On September 8th, this Saturday, we're going to have another Dementia Chats webinar, which is free. And if you go to www.alzheimerspeaks.com and just click on the Dementia Chats tab, you'll be able to find information um, as to how to enter. Those are uh, completely, completely free. So, again, thank you all for um, being part of our show. Again, we can't do this alone. And if you are listening and thinking, I have a story to tell, um, I've, got a, I've got a product or a service um, that I think is unique and others need to learn about, please reach out to me because that's what this platform is for, is about sharing the knowledge, tips, and tools uh, that we've learned in this process. You can um, last go to the website www.alzheimerspeaks.com and if you want to get your free memory chip, just click on the free tools icon. There's a little star button there and you can go ahead and get your memory chip um, teaching you about are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. There's a memory journal and some other tools in there as well. So thank you so much for your time and have a blessed week and we'll talk soon. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.